Hey, this is episode five, and I just wanted to share with you a little bit about our Easter service this past Sunday. I wanted to talk with you. I actually wanted to share with you the the sermon, but this is the summary of the sermon, so it's not as long as the regular sermon. If you want to listen to the entire sermon, go over to the Springdale Community Church podcast. You can find that anywhere, and you can listen to the whole thing, but this one is a little bit less time, so you can hear it in 16 minutes or so instead of 30 minutes, so hopefully it will help you, but you could also watch it on Vimeo, or you could watch the summary on my YouTube channel. Anyway, I sure hope it helps you and encourages you today. Now, you might be questioning, like, why are there doors behind me? Like, is this normal? And, and for us, it kind of is normal. Uh, we have just come out of a series called Storytellers. And the idea of Storytellers was looking to tell the story that we have in our lives and be able to share that with those that we meet in whatever walk of life that we have where God has placed us. And as we share those stories, we ultimately aren't sharing our story alone in and of itself, but we're sharing Jesus because that is the most important part. That is the crux of our story. And so over the last few weeks, we've taken time to write on these doors for those that have been a part of the services. And we've written things like uh, what we're thankful for. We've written things like what we're fearful of or what God has brought us from. We write gratitude for what God has given us, but also the reality that someone shared Christ with us at some point in our lives, and we celebrate that. And so we have written these things on these boards as part of our Storyteller series, and today we're really wrapping that up. Now, what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking at three stories, if you will, three perspectives of what took place so many years ago with Jesus and the crucifixion. And so I'll begin with the first person. His name means praised. But if someone calls you by this name, you're probably going to be a little offended. His name, Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas would have known Jesus relatively well because he engaged with him on his earthly ministry. He would have heard Jesus preach. He would have seen Jesus heal people. He would have traveled with him and had conversations with him. By location, he was incredibly close to Christ. But ultimately, relationship-wise, he couldn't be further away. And whenever the disciples are listed in order, all 12 of them, Judas is last listed on that. And the reason why is because of all of the disciples, he was the least relationally connected to Jesus. He was a part of it, but he really wasn't a part of it at all. There was a complete disconnect between Judas and Jesus and the message that Jesus was communicating. Now, the reality was... All of the disciples were struggling with that message. But for Judas, there was a self-seeking aspect of what that message challenge was, and he struggled with understanding it. Soon after that took place, I read to you in Matthew chapter 26. It says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Speaking of Jesus. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment on, he looked for an opportunity to betray him. Now, here was an individual that had walked with Jesus, had heard Jesus, had observed Jesus. And now, all of a sudden, he comes to the moment where he's willing to sell out his so-called friend for 30 pieces of silver. 
And so what he does the night that he betrays Jesus, he takes the Roman authorities and Jewish leaders to where Jesus and the disciples would be gathered together and he knew that they would be there. And when Judas comes up to Jesus, he says, hello, rabbi, acknowledging that he had authority, acknowledging that he was a teacher. He was somebody that he sat under. And then he gives him a kiss on the cheek. It was a sign of reverence of that day. It was a sign of honor. It was a bestowing of friendship, a close friendship. Think of the hypocrisy that is taking place there. And as he goes up and betrays Jesus to be arrested, he gives him a kiss and calls him his teacher. Now, from that moment on, after that that occurred, Judas is concerned. All of a sudden, he goes to this place where he's overwhelmed with guilt and disappointment because of what he has done. He actually goes back to those that paid him the 30 pieces of silver, and he says to them, I don't want your money. This is blood money. I want nothing to do with it, and cast it back to them. But even with his remorse, even with his guilt, even with the pain of what he had done, He didn't seek repentance. He didn't seek that forgiveness. Instead, he decided to reside the rest of his time living in guilt and disappointment. But all of us can relate to the idea of what it means to have guilt and disappointment in our lives. The second part of the story that we're going to talk about today has everything to do with some people that we probably don't really think about, the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers were there and were trained simply to create an experience of death that was torture, that was humiliating, that was just this disgusting act of putting someone to death, but they were trained to do this. But in Matthew chapter 27, we see that Jesus is on trial. And it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. So they put him in front of 600 soldiers. And then they proceed to do what they were trained to do. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him. And then twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And then they put a reed in his right hand. And then kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spit on him. And then they grabbed that reed out of his hand. And they hit him on the head where they had just placed that crown of thorns. And then when they had mocked him even more, they took that robe off of him and they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. These Roman soldiers knew exactly what to do to make it to be a slow and painful and torturous death. They knew that if they nailed the nails in the right place, that the victim would just hang there and wouldn't die quickly. They knew that after hours he would suffocate. 
They knew that it would be slow and painful, and I think they really liked it. And the entire time, they were mocking him, and other people were joining in and mocking him too. But then something happens. Verse 45 of Matthew 27 says, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. So three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with, with sour wine. They put it on a reed and they gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and save him, mocking him even more. The Bible says, and Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And then the centurion says something. Verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. They were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. Can you imagine being someone who physically took part in the crucifixion of the Son of God, who you had trained your whole life to get to this point, to murder the Son of God, to crucify him, and then to realize who he was. Can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine the suffering? Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the defeat that was going on in these Roman soldiers' minds and bodies as they watched Jesus die? As they had physically taken part in nailing nails into his hands and into his feet? We're not very much different than they are. The Bible says that it was our sins who crucified Jesus. What a sense of death. His name was Peter. Peter means rock. After confessing that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus named him Peter and said, on this rock, I will build my church. We know this guy. He was called, just like Judas, to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He traveled with Jesus. He listened to Jesus preach. He watched Jesus perform miracles. Yet Peter was one of the leaders of the disciples. When we see a list of the disciples, we normally see Peter toward the top. Peter was called to follow Jesus as a fisherman. He had been out all night and hadn't caught any fish. But after using Peter's boat, Jesus asked him to go fishing. And after reluctantly, Peter gave in and said, let's go. The result was such a huge catch of fish that it began to break their nets and sink their boats. And when they got back to shore, Jesus called and said, follow me. And Peter and some of his buddies left everything and followed him. As close as Peter was to Jesus, imagine the impact of one seemingly final moment during the Passion Week. 
Peter had experienced so much life with Jesus, and yet in the heat of an intense moment, as he warmed himself by a charcoal fire, this fisherman turned disciple, turned his gaze from Jesus to himself, and denied Jesus. Can you imagine the weight of that moment? Scripture says in Luke 22, it says, but Peter said, and this is for the third time, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I imagine Peter would have given anything to talk with Jesus one more time. To express his sorrow for messing up again and to receive forgiveness like he had received so many times before. But then let's fast forward a bit as, and as we see Peter after the crucifixion trying to get back to life as normal. He's doing what he knows how to do. He's fishing with his buddies. He had been out all night and yet caught nothing. And there's this guy on the shore that yells and says, hey, are you catching any fish? And they said, no. And he said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they do that and he catches such a great bunch of fish. This catch reminds him of the earlier time or the first time they went fishing with Jesus. When Peter realizes who's on the shore, he realizes it's the Lord. He dives in the water and swims to Jesus to get there as fast as possible. And when he arrives, he finds that Jesus had prepared the scene to show Peter just how much he loved him. There was the smell of another charcoal fire that likely reminded Peter of the night when he denied Jesus. The fishing experience had just reminded him of the original call to be a disciple of Jesus. And then Jesus invites him to breakfast and over that breakfast, Jesus did not reprimand him. He didn't make him pay, but he walked him through a process of forgiveness, of restoration, and pointed him back to his original mission, following Jesus. The cross was not the end, but a beginning. From one charcoal fire to another, Jesus forgives Peter and receives him as a beloved child. Well, we've heard three different perspectives about the cross tonight, three different responses to it. <clears throat> and I'm sure there's some of us that can relate to some of those things because like, like Dennis said, like we, we, our sin put Jesus on the cross. We're all sinners just like these, these three groups of people, these two guys, this group of people we talked about. And that brings us to this fourth door. As we're talking about stories, this fourth door is, is our story, our response. What are we going to do with the revelation of the cross? Because as Brian just said, it wasn't an end, it was a beginning. It was truly a turning point. The revelation of the cross, the revelation, the divine truth of the cross, it begins with a relationship. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That cross is a part of our story. That Son, his name is Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, the risen one. In John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He showed us the way, he spoke truth in us, and he brought us life because he loves us that much. If you belong, if you belong to Jesus Christ, the power of the life-giving spirit 
has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So when we were hopeless, Jesus brought some hope. And when we were dead to our sins, Jesus brought us life. That's not the end of the story. God's not done yet. That life, Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I have come that they may have life, but have it abundantly, abundantly, abundantly. I have come to bring them life and bring it with abundance. That abundance, the more, the better. We find that in the resurrection. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that? We have overwhelming victory in him. If we believe that. So Jesus came. He died. He rose again. He gave us that power. He brought us life. He brought us abundant life. He brought us eternal life. And we have everlasting victory. Ever overwhelming and everlasting victory in him. The Holy Spirit is on fire, church. Let's stand. Let's lift his name now. We have victory in him today.